chosen to follow Jesus Christ because we have named Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior it seems a little strange and in this postmodern world that we're in it seems to get just a little bit stranger uh, you can have five to six million people in a 50 mile radius and only 400,000 of them go to church you can have a bunch more people out here and they say that the largest growing group of people in this religious landscape is the nuns. N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. Meaning they have no religious affiliation. They don't want nothing to do with this God that we're talking about or any other God. It's almost like we are becoming the outsiders. I mean, I see statistics that say that Christians are still in the majority of the population, but I don't see that majority on the television. I don't see that majority in the music. I don't see that majority on the workplace. I don't see that majority on the schools. It seems like we are in a strange situation. Outsiders based on what we have chosen to believe, based on the path that we have chosen to follow. Amen. Outsiders, strangers, yes. sometimes strangers in our own land. Amen. Definitely strangers in a foreign land. Uh, and so Peter is talking about that in this book. Both First and Second Peter are, are, are attributed to Peter, one of the earliest disciples. Uh, Peter was very short and to the point. That's why the gospel according to Mark is the shortest of the gospels because it was written by John Mark who walked with Peter and Peter didn't really talk about a bunch of elaborate details. Uh, when they look at the temptations of Jesus, Mark just says Jesus went to the wilderness, was tempted, and then after he finished the temptations, the angels appear, uh, attended to him. They don't tell you what the temptations were, what order it was, or who was doing the tempting. He felt like that wasn't a big point. That's why I'm sure he's shortened to the point. And then when you get to these, le these letters that he wrote to the people, those are short and to the point. You can read First and Second Peter in your normal Bible studies, hint, hint, uh, in one sitting because it's short and to the point. Peter had a bit of a mouth on him as well. Uh, Peter had a little bit of a mouth on him to tell you what was going on, what was on his mind, and he didn't like what you, whether or not, he didn't care whether you liked it or not. Peter would have been what we called, or as I learned in my retreat uh, over this week, Peter would have been red. Reds are very direct. 
Reds are very direct and they tell you what's going on and then move on to the next subject. I don't know any Reds. <clears throat> but if I did, I would assume that they're very direct in their communication. And so he, he led the community and followers of uh, what would later be called Christianity, uh, they're still held on to his traditions. Uh, and, and they held on to his traditions and he ended up dying what they call a martyr's death, like many other Christians along with him because it wasn't very popular at one point to become a Christian. Uh, the letter starts off, though, as a baptismal homily. He's talking about living holy in the beginning and, and all of these things that are going on. But do, and when we get to verse 12 in the chapter, in the fourth chapter of 1 Peter, we turn from this baptismal homily to direct exhortation, direct encouragement, direct motivation. Because this author is writing to Gentile Christians. And these Gentile Christians are in what was called Asia Minor at the time, but today we call it Turkey. Uh, and he's talking about this suffering that is going on. This suffering that is going on. They are not in the ideal political climate. They are not in the ideal economic climate. They are not in the ideal social climate at these times. These people who have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ are now outcasts in their own land. Uh, he's writing to Gentile Christians when he writes this. So these are people that weren't born as Hebrew people. They aren't used to this. They just got into these traditions in this scripture when they, this man named Jesus came around. And because they got into this man named Jesus' following, they lost their standing in the social world. And so he's writing to them and he's talking about this suffering that they are undergoing. And he lets them know that the suffering first is to be expected. Let the church say expected. Uh, the author calls the, the, the people in, in the new international version that was read in your hearing, he says, dear friends. But he also says in other translations, beloved. Uh, he's letting them know that these people are beloved, that somebody out there still loves you. You may have lost your friends. You may have lost your so-called family members. You may have lost the people who said they would stick to you through thick and thin. But there is somebody out there that still loves you no matter what. The Bible says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I tell you one thing, there's somebody I know that I can tell a secret and it won't get out. I know there's somebody out here that at least won't talk about me behind my back. I know there's somebody out there that's not with me for what I can do for them or what I can give them or what kind of status they think they can get off. There's somebody out there that still loves us. And even though we can't see him, even though we can't touch him, even though we have not laid eyes on him, he still loves us. So no matter what's going on, there is somebody that still loves us even when we go through these hard times. Uh, and he talks about this fiery ordeal, this strange fire, this fire that we are not supposed to act like is strange to us. And the word that it uses is pyrosis. And, and, and it's, also, it's only used three times in the Bible. It's used here in 1 Peter and two other times in Revelation. And in those times, it's talking about a burning. It's the same root word that we get the medical term heartburn from. Uh, and, and, and this fiery ordeal, they believed that this time was a persecution. It was widespread and sporadic. So you didn't know where the trouble was going to come from 
or when it was supposed to happen, but you knew it was supposed to happen. Uh, they say that in life we are either going into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm. And if you don't think that, just keep on saying good morning. And eventually you will hit one of those things. Life is not supposed to be peaches and cream all the time. There are changes we are going to go through. If you can't get two people to agree on anything, on all these different things in life, how do you think you're going to go through life without any disagreement? There is going to be trouble, and it's sometimes going to be trouble that you didn't cause. And so we have this fiery ordeal, and scholars believed at the time that the, it was persecution that was widespread and sporadic, and you didn't know where it was coming from or when it could happen. These believers were facing slander for believing in Jesus being the Messiah or our Savior. This was not yet the official persecution from the Roman government yet. We hadn't got to the part where they're getting thrown in the lion's dens and crucified upside down yet. That's coming, but it's not when he's talking to them at this time. So you don't have to necessarily be going through all of this life or death situation to be going through a fiery ordeal. The Roman government will get involved when there's money involved. The Roman government got involved. That's why Jesus got killed while I'm on the subject. Check, check, two, two. Check, check, one, two. Yes, yes, Jesus came into the temple and threw the money changers out of the temple, right? Uh, that was messing up the Sanhedrin council's money. They were getting a kickback for having those money changers in the table, in the temple. And, and I knew that they would have to be getting pretty well paid because when I look at the scriptures, when they held that Sanhedrin council, they had 72 people come to this meeting and they held it at the chief priest's dining room. How big does your dining room have to be in order to host 72 people? So had Jesus still just been teaching Love God and love people. He did teach that. But if that was the only thing he said, he would not have been killed. And so when these people started doing this, they were upsetting the natural order of things, or at least the, the order of the society around them. And we know, uh, this denomination included, people don't like change. You ever want to rile somebody up? change something. We've been doing this since my great, 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 great grandfather was doing it. How dare you move that to the other side? If you ever want to upset somebody, change something. And so these people out here believing in this man named Jesus had upset the natural order of things of that time. The problem was that being a believer in Jesus Christ meant you did not worship or acknowledge other gods. I'm going to say that again. The problem was being a believer in Jesus Christ meant that you did not worship or acknowledge other gods. But to be in the Roman culture at that time meant that you had to participate in all of these holidays that had pagan origins and acknowledge other gods. There was a celebration every January for the emperor because the Roman people believed that the emperor was God. That's why the symbol for the emperor was the sun at some time. And they made all these, these celebrations. There were feasts 
There were games going on all throughout the year and festivals to other gods, lowercase g. There were small altars erected out in front of these houses. And when they have these processions, these parades going on through this ancient Roman culture for these other pagan gods, it was customary for the people when the procession came down their street for them to come out in front of their house with the altar that they built for this procession and give a sacrifice on that altar to whatever God that they were celebrating or processing for. Uh, there were these kind of things going on. And, they, and being a follower of a Christ meant when you got to their house, there was no altar outside in the front yard. When you got to their house, there was no, all, there was no sacrifice being made. And, and so when, and, and that happened, and, and, and these people actually got treated like they were atheists, like we treat atheists of this time. It wasn't that they didn't believe in God. They just didn't believe in those gods. And since this culture was a mixture of all these things, you had people that would believe in something or participate or acknowledge something altogether. And, and that may not have necessarily been their belief, but they at least acknowledged it. But I am of the belief that you cannot accidentally worship anything. And so these, these, these things would go on and, and they, 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 they would have it. And so that was a change. Again, I'll remind you that he was writing to Gentiles. So these were people who were not born into the faith but have decided to follow Jesus. So that meant they might have been in a neighborhood where it had been altars all up and down the street, but now there's one missing. Yeah. That they used to have fit, fit in. And now because of this Jesus, you have people not wanting to participate anymore in the festivals. We can't have that. So they were subject to abuse. Uh, there is nothing like picking on somebody who doesn't fit in. Uh, so they were getting the, this, this verbal and, and, and this abuse. And, and they did not grow up in the faith. So they essentially made themselves foreigners. Strangers in their own land. But Peter wrote to tell them that because they have decided to follow Jesus Christ, because they have decided to take a higher path, because they have decided to put everything they had into the one and true living God, that this suffering that they were going through at the time, they ought not think it strange. Because if you suffer with them for God's sake, you are going to reveal in the glory. If you suffer, you are going to reap the reward. This suffering that was going on was only temporary. Because there was going to come a time where they would also share in God's glory. Uh, and because there is this test that they are going through, this trial that they are going through is going to allow them to have a testimony. Uh, the things that cause us grief, the things that hurt us, the things that make us feel bad are opportunities to learn. The things that we take losses on are opportunities to grow. I heard one person say, you either win or you learn. And so this suffering that they were going through was going to make them that much stronger. Uh, I, I've learned something in, in taking different martial arts. Uh, we would have to, one, I took, we would have to actually hit the people. No gloves, no protective gear. And you actually got in trouble if you pulled your punches and kicks. You had to hit them as hard as you possibly could when it was time to spar. Why? Not only so that I could learn to go through and follow all the way through with my punches, but it was also so that the person that was taking the punches could get used to them. 
Because see, when you flinch, when you freeze up, it makes it hurt that much more. And so what the training was telling them is that we ought to understand that to suffer, that, that there's going to be some pain. But how you react to the pain, the more pain that you experience, the stronger you will be, the better off you will be for it. So some of this suffering that we go through in our lives is to help us to stop flinching. And so these tests turn into testimony. And so when these people are watching this testimony, the unsaved friends of the new Christian are going to marvel at how the new Christian does not desire to do what they used to do. I say the unsaved friends of the Christian are going to marvel at how the new Christian no longer desires to do what they used to do. Uh, the unsaved friend of the new Christian is going to marvel how we're not going to make it to the bottom of the bottle of vodka anymore. The unsaved Christian is going to marvel at how we no longer want to go to the gentleman's establishment. Uh, the unsaved Christian is going to marvel how normally we would have cussed you all the way out. All the way out. But the Lord's been working on our tongue. Ah, the Holy Spirit has been allowing us to say the right things and not say the, the wrong things. The, 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 the unsaved friend of the new Christian is going to watch us and say and, and understand that we no longer have those desires that we used to have. Is the microphone still working? Ah, the unsaved Christian is going to marvel at our growth. Why? Because it is no longer our life to live. Come here, Paul. Right around Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives in me, but the Christ in me. So what he's saying right there is I took all of my sins to the cross with Jesus. And now when I come back and live my life, I am living with Jesus inside of me. So if I still want to go to that place, I'm actually taking Jesus with me. Do I want to take Jesus with me there? So these troubles, <clears throat> these trials that we go to are to be expected. Uh, not only are they to be expected, they're to be esteemed. Let the church say esteemed. We're supposed to think well of these things that we go to because if we share in the past grief, we will also share in the future glory. I was talking to someone about a mixed martial arts training, and they were talking about how they were training at the time, and, and this person, uh, they called her cyborg. Uh, she's a mixed martial arts fighter, and she would train to the point that she was literally in tears. They had her lifting weights until she cried. They had her cutting weight until she they had her running until she cried. And she was screaming out in pain. But oh, when she got in the octagon, all of that crying was no more. Those crying in pain had been turned into shouts of victory. So we got to be able to willing to work as hard as we can on the front end so that we can celebrate on the back end. That much better. Uh, and it says in the, in the text, dear, uh, uh, for if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit 
of it and of the for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. Ah, the spirit resting on you. For something to be able to rest on you, it's got to be comfortable, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I say for something to be able to rest on anything, it's got to be comfortable there. Are we making our lives comfortable for the Holy Spirit? But he talks about the spirit resting on him. And Romans 8 says in 16 and 17 that the spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God, then heirs. And if children, then heirs, rather, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. 2 Corinthians 1 and 5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds for Christ. So if we suffer in the beginning, we're going to reap in the glory. And for that spirit of God to rest on us, uh, Peter is calling back to Isaiah, uh, specifically uh, chapter 11, verse 2, because it says, well, 1 and 2 says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of of counsel and might. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit will rest upon him. That passage is why Jesus walked into the temple, opened up the scroll of Isaiah and said that the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's empowered me to set the captives free and open up blinded eyes and and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Because the spirit was resting on him. That rod out of the branch of Jesse was because David, who was the son of Jesse, and, and, and up the line, all the way you went, go back to the line of the tribe of Judah. That's what the tribe, the tribe of Judah is where our Savior was going to come from. The Messiah was going to be born out of that line. That's why they call Jesus both the root and the offspring of David, because he was uh, a, a descendant of David through Joseph, uh, being born of uh, Mary and Joseph. But he was also the root because in the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. And if you go on down a little further in the gospel, according to John, right around about verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus was here in the beginning. That's how he's the root. And then he came through the line of Jesse. That's how he's the offspring of David. And that's who the spirit of the Lord was resting upon when he was doing that. And just like the spirit of the Lord rested upon Jesus, the spirit of the Lord rests upon us as believers as we go through this Christian journey. And so he says it and he confirms it in Revelation in 22.16 where he says that he is the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. That spirit that rests upon him can rest upon each and every one of us. And that spirit that rests upon us gives us power. That spirit that rests upon us gives us power. That spirit that rests upon us gives us power. Uh, Mark 13 and 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit tells us what to say. Luke 11 and 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit will be given to any believer who asks. Romans 8 and 14 says that children of God shall be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 26 tells us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. Acts 21, 10 through 11 lets us know that the Holy Spirit gets us out of dangerous situations. The Holy Spirit is a power source according to Acts 10 and 38, Matthew 12, 28, Acts 1 and 8. And the Holy Spirit makes new birth possible in John 
will not force himself upon anyone. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to rest upon us, we will get the power. And so we ought not be ashamed of the trials and sufferings that we experience on a daily basis. We may be strangers in a foreign land trying to figure out day to day how to make it in a system that is designed to work against us. But we still ought to understand that the fire is not strange. Uh, we ought to understand because we come from a people who were brought over here from a foreign land against their will. Treated as property and bred like cattle. But the fire is not strange. Legally ruled to be three-fifths of a person. So we should understand that the fire is not strange. Go through reconstruction and share cropping and understand that the fire is not strange. Go through Jim Crow and segregation and understand that the fire is not strange. Some of us integrated our cities. Some of us integrated our schools. Some of us integrated our jobs. So we should understand that the fire is not strange. We've seen redlining. We've seen gentrification. We've seen predatory lending practices. We've seen children get kicked out of school because they were a darker hue doing the same thing that somebody lighter did and got no kind of punishment. We've seen the prison, the school, the school, the, the, school, the prison pipeline. So we understand that the, 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 the fire is not Strange. We've seen these oppressive systems. We've seen people run for mayor and say that the first thing they do if they win is take it back to the good old days. What are the good old days? We've seen these oppressive systems. So we ought to understand that the fire is not strange. We've seen these systems where we've got more months than money. So the fire is not strange. We've seen these people wear us down on our jobs and understand that so-called fans wear us down, but we understand that the fire is not strange, but we have something to hold on to. Has thou not known? Has thou not heard? The word of God is everlasting to everlasting. He gives power to the faith, and to them who have no might, he increases strength. We got to understand that we have something to hold on to. We can hold on to that weeping may endure for a night. But joy will come in the morning. We can hold on to the fact that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. We can hold on to the fact that we are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves us. We can hold on to they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings as evil, run and not get weary, walk and not faint. We have something to hold on to. And if you can't hold on to any of that, hold on to the fact that there was a man born of a virgin from Galilee that died on a Friday morning for all of our sins and stayed dead and got up early on the third day with all power in his hands. And because he died, you can live. The fire is not strange. You can push on in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The door 